Hey, good morning as well, Calvary Church. So glad to be with you. My name is Matt Doan, one of our pastors here. It is my joy to open God's word. And so will you open with me in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, particularly Proverbs chapter 5. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So if you uh, have that translation accessible, whether the Bible you brought in or on your phone or even in the Bible in the seat rack in front of you uh, is a New Living Translation version. So turn to Proverbs chapter 5. Old Testament, right after the book of Psalms, before you get to Ecclesiastes, if you have to use the table of contents, no judgment here. (laughs) Or you can do my method. I remember when I was a young Christian, I would just flip until I found it. Proverbs chapter 5. The title of this message is, Wisdom in marriage. We've been going through this is the sixth installment of our summer Proverbs series, looking at the way of wisdom. And today we're specifically looking at how do we have wisdom in marriage? Now, a couple of disclaimers before we get started. Disclaimer uh, number one. The proverb we're reading today has some, I would say, graphic imagery of a husband and a wife. And so I'm calling this a PG-13 message. So if you are particularly watching online, welcome from all around the world and here in Orange County. If you're out in the courtyard enjoying a perfect July summer morning, or if you're here in the worship center and you have kids, Just want to give a little disclaimer. It's PG-13. Brian and I have decided that our kids under 13 won't be listening to this message. Did that make you lean in a little bit more? (laughs) (laughs) Disclaimer number two. As we read Proverbs 5, you're going to see that this is coming from the point of view of a father to a son. And so it uses a masculine point of view and it uses examples of a man and then kind of points a a woman as the immoral one. In fact, maybe even in your Bibles, if you have your printed Bible, it will say on the top of Proverbs 5, a little heading, it will say, avoid an immoral woman. Now, does that mean there are no no immoral men? (laughs) No, no, not at all. But the context here is it's a father to a son. So any ladies or any of us who maybe look through this proverb and are like, it feels like it's so kind of male dominated or uh, just, just relax, take a deep breath. It's a father to son. That's the context of it. Disclaimer number three. When I talk about wisdom in marriage, I understand that there's many here who are listening to this message who are not married. Either you're uh, a young adult, teenager, or you're uh, single as an adult, or maybe you're divorced, or a widow or widower. But this message, I believe, pertains to you as well. So, So don't check out. Number one... We are all encouraged and and even in a sense held responsible by the Lord to strengthen and encourage and pray for and surround marriage, whether we are married or not. And my goal of this short message, hopefully short for your sake, (laughs) is to end in grace, something that all of us desperately need. Amen? And so whether married or single, just know that grace is where we're going to land today. So if you're single, don't check out as we talk about marriage. Okay, I think those are enough disclaimers for now. (laughs) 
Hopefully you're there. Proverbs chapter 5. I'm going to scroll down to verse 15 and start there. Kind of at the end of the proverb and then I'm going to carry it out to the end of, of the chapter. Proverbs, 15, Proverbs 5 verse 15. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for a lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So we believe that the author of this proverb was most likely King Solomon. He probably wrote this around 900 B.C., 900 years before Jesus came into the scene. And yet, what was relevant then, by the power of God and his word and his Holy Spirit, is relevant for us today here in July of 2022. And so what I want us to do is just walk through this proverb and, and apply it to our lives. Verse 15, we, we get this sense, this understanding of, of God's design for marriage. And you'll notice as you just heard uh, the tail end of this proverb being read, that the Bible is not prudish or shy when it comes to discussing sexuality. And here in Proverbs 5, we, hear, we see the analogies of water and springs and, and well and a fountain. And, and these are most likely poetic euphemisms for male and female sexuality. Though the Bible doesn't hide from talking about sex. Why? Because God designed sex. And therefore, it is good. But there's a context that this proverb makes clear that, that sex is to be enjoyed, experienced in marriage. Verse 15 here says, don't drink water or drink water from your very own well. Share your love only with your wife. Again, this is Solomon talking to his son, 900 BC. Where was the location of, of where he's having this conversation? It's in Israel. It's in the Middle East. Specifically, it's in the desert. Water was at a premium in this land. You wouldn't just have indoor plumbing. You wouldn't, when you went to go get your gas, walk into the convenience store and have a selection of a variety of designs and water bottles. Water was something that was a precious commodity. It was scarce. It was to be protected at all costs. The average rainfall in Israel is 23 inches a year, which ironically is about the same average as here in California. 
And you've seen on the 555, 405, 22, these signs that say we are now in a drought. Have you seen those yet? Yes. <laughs> so Israel's not much different. Water was at a shortage, and so therefore it was very, very valuable. Each community was to dig their own well. Other translations say cistern. Here is what an ancient cistern well would look like. It would be an underground cave. It would be huge. You would crawl down into it and you would fill this with the rainfall of the year. These precious 23 inches. Every community neighborhood would have their own cistern and well. It was to be protected at all costs. So Solomon is relating marriage to a cistern, a well. He is saying, son, marriage is highly important. It's valuable, it's precious, it's refreshing, and it's life-giving. And also, marriage is exclusive. Every neighborhood community would agree that this is where we're going to put our well. Maybe because of a spring or, or how the water would run down the, the valley there. So every neighborhood community would, would agree this is where we're going to place our well, our cistern. And we're going to protect it. We're going to make sure that that water uh, doesn't get compromised. Imagine another neighborhood coming over at night and, and looking around and, and crawling down here and scooping water out and, and then running back to their own village. That would, be, uh, a worth, that would be something worth fighting for. You exclusively used your own well and your cistern. You protected it at all costs, like I said. So Solomon is telling his son, marriage is not only valuable and it's precious, but it's also exclusive. All throughout the Bible it talks about that. In Genesis chapter 2, we see the parameters, uh, the creation of marriage, that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus in the New Testament, in Matthew 19, seems to restate that very uh, principle and truth that one man is to cling to one woman for a lifetime of covenant. Paul goes into it explicitly in, in the epistle, the letter to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5. And here is Solomon in Proverbs 5 saying the same thing. Marriage is precious, it's valuable just like our wells are. And it's exclusive. It's for one man and one woman. Drink the water from your own well. Share your love with only your wife. This was pretty countercultural for 900 BC, just like it can be a little countercultural for 2022 as well. In 900 BC, you often would marry for a couple of reasons that didn't necessarily include love. You would marry to align two families together. You would marry to even combine two tribes or wells, community cisterns together. Many times parents would arrange marriages saying, my son will marry 
your daughter and they would meet at the altar. Can you imagine that? And so marriage wasn't necessarily defined by love. And so there was a cultural norm in Solomon's day that people would get married, but then they would have a sexual relationship outside of marriage with someone other than their spouse. Particularly men were given this license in this culture, totally against God's will and way. Here in the nation of Israel, they were partnering with other nations and having sexual relationships with other tribes, families that neither knew God, followed God, or worshiped God. And there was all kinds of destruction that resulted. And so Proverbs 5 is directly targeting this sinful practice. It's saying whether you're in an arranged marriage for convenience or love, you are to only have a relationship with your, in this case, man, uh, father talking to a son, your wife. Any sexual relationship outside of that relationship is wrong, is sinful, is destructive. You see, God is the author and the creator of sex. It wasn't like he watched his first creatures, Adam and Eve, and he watched them physically come together and he's like, uh, excuse me, uh, what are you doing down there? <laughs> What's happening to you? No, God had this as part of his plan and his design that one man and one woman would come together physically as a sign of the covenant in marriage. So God designs sex and he lays out the boundaries for a sexual relationship. God says it's exclusive between a man and a woman. That doesn't seem fair in some ways here in 2022, right? To all of our teenagers and college kids and, and young adults and, and singles and same-sex attracted men and women and widows and widowers. What are they to do if, if sexuality is only to be expressed between one man and, and one woman in marriage? Why would God make sex so exclusive? Well, the reason is, is because marriage points to something bigger than itself. Marriage points, it's a faint image, it's a dim shadow, it's a mirror of something greater. It's an image of our relationship with God. You see, God entered into a covenant with the nation of Israel. He said, I will be your God. And you remember the first command of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. God enters into this covenant with the nation of Israel. And he says it is to be exclusive. This nation and me. I am your God. No other God are you to give yourself to and worship. In the new covenant that we get to experience and celebrate and, and live in now. This, this new covenant under Jesus Christ. This covenant of grace, this unconditional covenant that we enjoy as followers of Jesus Christ. God says the same thing. This is to be an exclusive relationship. 
you and I. Give yourself to no other false God. I am the one true God. Jesus says, I am the way. And he says, I am the truth. And he says, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So God's intention for marriage and sexuality was for it to be exclusive in a marriage context. The covenant of one man and one woman was to shadow the covenant of ultimately God and us. It's a photocopy, an imperfect photocopy. You know, it's interesting as you even begin to research Uh, What scientists have found about uh, the act of sex and the hormone that's released uh, when you have sex with another person. It's called oxytocin. oxytocin. And it's released when you're physically intimate with somebody. And this hormone that scientists have discovered, when it's released, it creates a memory and a bond. This is all part of God's design. God designed sex to be experienced between one man and one woman in marriage and for a hormone to be released in that act of physical intimacy that creates a bond that strengthens the covenant. So then the next question that I have as I was kind of thinking through how to communicate this to you is, So if God designs sex to be exclusive between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage, then why does he give anyone that's not married a sex drive, a sexual appetite? It almost seems cruel for for God to give an 18-year-old boy a a sex drive when when he's not married yet. Or to give a 50-year-old woman who's been abandoned by her husband and is drowning in loneliness but then also tells her, hey, I'm going to give you this sex drive, but I'm going to call you to be abstinent and walk in purity at this point in your life. It almost seems cruel at first glance and blush. And I don't have in this 30-minute sermon enough time to unpack kind of the nuances of all of this, but here is what I would say. If I could just say pastorally as your brother, That if God gives you a sex drive and a sexual appetite and you are not in the covenant of marriage, or maybe you are in a marriage, but for whatever reason are not able to experience physical intimacy, what I can encourage you with is this, is that God meets you in a profound way in that struggle. (laughs) The Lord himself promises to walk with you. Hebrews 13 says, I will never leave you, nor will I never forsake you. And that includes curbing your sexual appetite. God, I just pray for every single person here who's struggling. Outside of the covenant of marriage, or maybe even in marriage, God, would you give them more of you? Would you empower them and encourage them? Would you grow their trust and their faith in you? Thank you, God, that you hear this prayer. In the name of Christ, amen. It goes on here in Proverbs 16 and 17 to give this warning that if if sexuality and marriage is so valuable, you would 
you would never think of, of destroying that value. In ancient Israel, in Solomon's day, water was so difficult to capture and to transport. Again, you're not just walking to your kitchen sink and turning on the, the water and washing your hands or, or dishes. You would have to do something like this. Particularly in this culture, the women would be in charge of, of going to the cistern to the well. And they would carry these, these giant pots full of water back to their home and neighborhood. Can you imagine one of these women tripping and their pottery breaking and all the water spilling out? And how devastated they would be. Maybe even culturally the norm was you were restricted to one full pot per couple days. Or maybe she would have to go back a couple of miles or so to back into enter into the well. It would be devastating to lose your water. It's a little harder for us to understand. Even in drought California, this concept. Last night, I walked out to my car and there's just a stream of water going down our street. <laughs> I'm kind of like looking down the street like, I wonder where that's coming from. Probably someone's pool that's draining or a sprinkler that's broken. But it was no big deal. I didn't really freak out. I just kind of stepped over it and and then walk to my car. But in 900 BC, this would be a huge deal. You wouldn't allow any water to be wasted. And Solomon in his wisdom is telling his son these words. Why would you even think about wasting water? And to use that analogy, why would you even think about taking your sexuality outside the bonds, the covenant of marriage? You know, I love what this next verse says. Solomon gives a, a warning. Don't take your sexuality outside. But then he gives a positive here. He says these words. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you be captivated by her love. It gives this vision here of a healthy marriage. Now again, disclaimer, this is a father to a son, so it's very much the male-centric point of view in, in this moment here. But you see some good principles here of what a healthy marriage could look like. Are these all the principles of a healthy marriage? No, not necessarily. But, but there's some good wisdom here. It says that you should bless one another, not tear each other down. You should rejoice. You should be so thankful for your spouse. You should be tender and loving and graceful with each other. Now, again, the language might throw us off a little bit. Like, I don't think any of you husbands should walk up to your wives and be like, oh, you little deer, you little deer. <laughs> but it's this idea of gentleness and tenderness and even, I would argue, humility. You don't enjoy each other's bodies through physical intimacy in marriage. This is God's design. And then you're to be captivated. That word can also mean intoxicated. You're to be captivated, intoxicated by the love you have for your spouse. This is a powerful, powerful truth and, and calling for us. These markers should mark the Christian faith and the Christian marriage. 
And if they do, the skeptical world will begin to see and understand God's design for sexuality and God's design for marriage. Because frankly, our world is super skeptical about marriage. How many of you have gotten married in the last 10 years and you run into the grocery store and somehow they're like, how's your week going? You're like, I'm getting married this week. What's the first response? I'm sorry. (laughs) Really? You're so young. Really? I tried that one time. Our world is skeptical about marriage. A marriage that's marked by the things of Proverbs 18 and 19 can show a skeptical world that that know God's design and God's power is in a healthy marriage. This is a photo of Dr. Bobby and Tricia Perry. Had the privilege to officiate their wedding right across the the way here in Samson Chapel about seven or eight years ago. One of my favorite things to do as a pastor is officiate a wedding because I love to have this up-close point of view on the groom and the bride when they meet. I love looking at the groom when the doors of the chapel are opened up and his bride walks down. I love seeing his face at that moment. He's not on his phone looking at his fantasy football scores. (laughs) He's not making a side business deal with his groomsmen. He's simply captivated and focused on his bride and vice versa. You don't see many brides doing anything else but looking straight at their groom. It's one of the coolest things to be able to witness when you see this happen. But what about when the wedding day is over? When the honeymoon is just a memory except on your credit card? (laughs) What the world's looking for is marriages that 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in are still living with captivated love. Proverbs 5, 18, 19, love. You may have seen the email that I sent out this week, but I highlighted Blair and Trish Folsom. As of last month, they've been married 53 years. It's amazing. A few years ago, I had the privilege to go to their 50th wedding anniversary celebration that their kids put on. And I sat in the back and you guys, I was just kind of a passive attender there. Like, oh, I'll just go for an hour and just hang out. Yeah, good job, guys. Yeah, woo. Um, I was moved to tears as I watched their five kids stand up and say, my parents aren't perfect. That's a whole nother talk I could give. <laughs> But my parents' marriage helped me understand and see Jesus. I was so moved by that, you guys. Our marriages can be a powerful apologetic to the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. Thought you'd have fun with this, Blair and Trish, but this is them right before they... (laughs) I wasn't even born yet. But Blair and Trish are just newlyweds compared to Gail and Jean Van Deest. (laughs) And maybe you've already caught this. Gail and Jean were faithful missionaries to Calvary Church, serving up in Alaska for 50 plus years. Credible, credible ministry. 
Actually, I would say they were in ministry for 70 plus years. Uh, Gail, the husband here in our picture, Gail went to be with Jesus this week. And he uh, was with his family and up in Washington and breathed his last breath here and then went face to face with Jesus. Gail and Jean celebrated this last month 70 years of marriage. Isn't that amazing? And uh, Jean, I know that you're watching with your son today, and I just want to say, well done. <laughs> well, well done. Uh, you're a powerful apologetic uh, to the grace of God in marriage. This is their photo in 1952 when they were married. Gail, the husband, uh, started doing something pretty powerful over the last couple years on Facebook. With all the toxicity, toxicity on Facebook, I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but um, he started just deciding, you know what, I'm going to do something countercultural. I'm just going to post a proverb every day. And so if you go back on Gail's Facebook, he has posted a proverb almost every single day. And this was the proverb that he posted last month on his 70th wedding anniversary. Proverbs 18, 22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. And then this was Gail's comment. I did that 70 years ago today and I found it to be true. Isn't that good? May the world, the skeptical world, see our marriages and see the power of Jesus Christ in them. But here's the sobering truth. There is a battle for what you're going to be captivated for, both in marriage and outside of marriage. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says it like this. Stay alert. Watch out. You have a great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There's unique spiritual battles in every season of life. But I believe the moment you say your vows as a husband or a wife, there is a fresh battle that now takes place in your life. As Satan wants nothing more than if he can't ruin your relationship with God, he'll try to ruin your marriage or if at the very least make it miserable. Says a roaring lion, a lion, a lion stalks his prey in a couple different ways. One of the most common ways is he follows them and then eventually gets so close without them noticing that the lion pounces on them, ambushing the prey. I wonder how many of our marriages are on the precipice of being ambushed. Understand that you are in a spiritual battle. And it starts with really small things. It starts with just the annoying things of a spouse. <laughs> Always misplacing your keys or wallet or phone. Distracted by electronic devices. One spouse always leaving clothes on the floor. One of you repeating the same jokes over and over and over again. Refusing to ask directions or use GPS. Trashing the car by leaving trash in it. Chronic lateness. You guys, Marie didn't write this, my wife. 
but she would have every right to write every one of these bullet points and it would be true about me. <laughs> oh, bless my wife. <laughs> she has a tall task on her hands with this guy. These pet peeves can be used by the roaring lion to literally harden our hearts. My buddy Bart told me a story several years ago that I've never forgotten. His wife was always late. Wherever they'd go, she was always late. And he was a guy that was always on time. He was a type A guy. And, and she was headed to the airport. And, and he wasn't going on this trip, but he was taking her. And he told her, he goes, honey, we have to leave at this time to make LAX. And of course, she was not ready at that time. He's frustrated. She gets in the car. He's racing down the 91, gets over to the 105, and then they hit traffic. And he's stressing. And what makes it even worse is his wife, who's the one flying, is totally at peace. <laughs> he's just getting more and more frustrated that she's going to miss her flight. And then she says, Bart, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> They're on the 105. If you know the 105, there's not a whole lot of places to stop. And He's like, no, you got to make it. She's like, I got to go. And so they find an exit. They find a, a McDonald's off the 105. She runs in. Bart told me that he literally grabbed the steering wheel and began just to squeeze it. He had been married at this time to his wife for over 30 years. They had an adult child. And Bart told me in that moment, he thought this thought, I married the wrong woman. <laughs> I made a huge mistake. I should have ne never, never married her. What was I thinking? There were so many other girls I could have chosen from. Why did I choose her? Right then, he said the Holy Spirit just convicted him as he was gripping that steering wheel. You've been married to this woman for 30 years. <laughs> and now you're thinking you made a bad decision? You have adult children. Why would you throw that away? Bart realized this is a fresh spiritual attack from the enemy. And he called it out right there in the McDonald's parking lot as he gripped his steering wheel. I rebuke Satan in the name of Jesus. For I am blonde to him. And my wife is a gift and a blessing from him. His wife got in the car. He said his whole countenance changed and she was kind of weirded out by it. <laughs> but he was doing business with God in that McDonald's parking lot. Many of us have to have that type of conversation with the Lord when it comes to letting the pet peeves of life just drive us crazy. Or else we become Al Bundy. We become that 80s character of, of, of just bitter and living miserable marriages that have no impact on our skeptical world. Sex for marriage between one man and one woman? That's crazy. Why would we ever sign up for that? Why would we ever endorse that? You're leaving so many other people behind. It's not fair. Well, yeah, it really doesn't when you look like this. But what if, what if, what if your marriage looked like this? <laughs> what if, what if your marriage by the power of God 
could look like this? What if, through the grace of God, you could forgive each other easily? Wow. That's what our world needs to see. That's frankly what we need (laughs) to experience. A couple more things as I just uh, land this. It says in Proverbs 5.20, why be captivated by anything else? Why would you let your heart go to anything else? And then there's a sobering truth in verse 21. For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. Again, women are not off the hook on this passage. This is a man talking to his son, so that's why we're using that language. But this is applies to all of us, right? God sees our inner life. God sees what we do in private, what we think about, what we view on our phones when, when no one is home. God sees it. And I'm sure that God's heart breaks when he sees us being captivated outside of the boundaries and the bonds of marriage. Solomon lays it out clearly here when he says, an evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are the ropes that catch him. He will die for a lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. Sobering. Sobering to read this. My question for all of us is this. What if we're a fool? (laughs) What if we sit here listening to this message and we feel like a fool because of situations that we're in right now? Maybe we're uh, dancing and dabbling and and falling into sexual sin outside the bounds of, of a husband and a wife and we feel foolish for that. Maybe we look at our past and, and we, we, we can't even really go there because it's so painful and, and, and just chock full of bad decisions and bad relationships and bad outcomes. What do we do if we feel like a fool? Well, this is where grace comes in and this is why I'm glad that you've stuck around that no one's walked away yet. <laughs> Jesus, in John chapter 4, approaches a woman who feels like a fool. She's been married seven times and she's living with a man now. And Jesus offers her living water in himself. In John 7, he says it like this. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. Jesus is the living water. Jesus is what ultimately satisfies us. Our marriages are only dim, faint portraits, photocopies of the ultimate relationship, which is the church, the bride, and the bridegroom, which is Jesus. Only he will completely satisfy you. Only Jesus can cleanse you from sexual sin. Only Jesus can give you the strength to say no to temptation in the future. Only the living water will give you what you need for today. Amen? Amen. This is the hope that we have. And so if you walk out of here going, I got to do better, I got to do more, or I'm a failure, or I'm shame, you've not heard about Jesus. Jesus is the living water. So... 
for those that are struggling with sexuality outside of marriage. Come to Jesus for strength and forgiveness today. For those that are in the covenant of marriage, but have maybe let your heart get hard, you're not captivating your spouse. Let Jesus, the living water, renew your heart for the high calling you have to be captivated by your spouse. So this is what I'm going to do. We're going to pray right now. I'm going to invite both those people I just mentioned to simply receive this prayer from the Lord and let him minister to you. And so close your eyes. Maybe you want to put your hands by your side, open them up as an act of receiving. And first, I want to just pray for those that are stuck in the chains of sexual sin right now. Maybe it's pornography on your phone or, or your laptop or it's a, an emotional connection to someone who's not your spouse. Or it's stuff that's not even happening right now but, but happened in the past. I want to pray this over you. <clears throat> Father, I just ask for your forgiveness right now. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the living water who cleanses us of sin. God, none of us, none of us deserve your grace. But God, thank you that you willingly, lavishly pour out your grace through your son, Jesus. Thank you for taking our, our sins, our sexual sins, and, and nailing them to the cross. God, renew us today. Transform us today. May we walk in, in just a fresh and brand new start with you. And now, Lord, I want to address and, and pray for marriages that are here. Maybe there's a sense that there's a lot of other things that are captivating you. When you get home, you just go on your phone. You're more interested in the kids' hobbies than you are in dating your wife. God, would you cleanse us from the sin of ignoring our spouses, of not being captivated by our spouses? God, we understand, we recognize there's a spiritual battle going on. We renounce Satan here today. God, you are in charge of our marriages. You have authority. You are the lion of Judah who defeats the wicked lion who prays after us. So God, we claim victory in our marriages here today. We ask you, living water, cleanse us, restore us, help us start new. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.